Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. But the other thing was where it's apparently safe to take a pie straight out of the oven and pop it in the freezer. I couldn't, I couldn't get that. That is not the way to chill a pie. You need to leave it at room temperature for a while before you start chilling it. So I just thought all reality has escaped us this week. Welcome back to the Bake Down podcast with me, Josh Landy, founder of Bake with a Legend, the company that gives you the chance to bake alongside former contestants from the Great British Bake Off. Now, Noel Fielding's voiceover kicked off Pastry Week by saying, who will perfect pastry and who has baked their last? And it was certainly a dramatic hour in the tent as we arrive at the point in the series where as many bakers have sadly left as who now remain. I want to say a huge thanks to everyone who joined us for Dan's free Eisenbahner Railway Biscuit webinar on Sunday. I think it was the best webinar we've done yet and we appreciate all the kind comments we've been sent on the back of it. Our festive range of virtual public classes is now on sale so if you're hoping to impress around the festive period look no further. Whether it's frangipan mince pies, orange and spiced chai latte cake, cognac and spiced Christmas shortbreads, Hanukkah donuts, Bouche de Noël, Stollen and Lebkuchen, to Jane's very own version of a Christmas tree cake. There really is something to learn for everyone. Head to bakewithalegend.com slash online classes to see more and remember to use the code podcast to get 10% off any of our classes. And so to this week's podcast, Pastry Week, Shoe Nuts, Baklava, Tureen Pie, and a whole lot of innuendo. Enjoy the podcast. Keep your emails coming into the bakedown at bakewithalegend.com and we'll see you again next Wednesday. Welcome back once again to the Bakedown podcast. I'm thrilled to be joined by Howard, Dan and Jane as we enter the second half of Bake Off 2021. And I'm going to get it out there straight away. Howard, 
Was this the episode with the most innuendo in Bake Off history? I think quite possibly, yes. I think it's always a sign when one of the judges or presenters, or in this case, both Paul and Matt, are literally creased up. So they've recognised innuendo in the tent, and clearly the editors are going to um, recognise some other things as well. Yeah, I mean, Dan, we had a, a joke about, was it Paul's nuts within about two minutes of the episode starting and a reference to a uh, jockstrap, wasn't it? And it, it didn't really go on a massively different tangent for the next for the next hour. No, I've never heard anything like it. Never heard anything like it in my life. As Prue said, quite often I need two holes so that I can squirt. And I just thought, how has this got past the censors? How has this got past the editors? I don't know. But uh, we also learned that when you meet a little bit of resistance, it usually means it's full. Yes, Am- amongst so much else. Jane, did you notice or did this pass you by some of it during the episode? Well, I, 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 I do love a bit of innuendo, I have to say. But the, the two holes thing, I just thought maybe something else had gone on a bit behind the scenes because I thought that could be quite innocent. And it, <laughs> it was probably the sort of thing I might say in a class perfectly innocently but as far as innuendo is concerned definitely and the thing that surprised me the most was the thing where Giuseppe said hassle oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) listen to you children sniggering and I'm surprised that made it in actually because it did so sound as though he was saying something else this is happening today so I won't repeat it but it, it did sound so as though he was saying something else. And I just think it wasn't necessary to leave that in <laughs> because <laughs> it could have easily been misconstrued. I thought some of it was funny, but I did think that the, the Prue with the two holes <laughs> probably was... Say was two holes again. <laughs> dirty minds, be quiet. Be quiet. <laughs> yeah, that moment with Giuseppe will be one of the most memorable, I think, of the entire series. I mean, the voiceover, right from the start, from Noel, said, who will perfect pastry and who has baked their last? It couldn't have been more dramatic, Howard, as, as we look to Pastry Week. I always feel a little bit, I suppose, not, not just because it's Pastry Week, but the, the, the order, you know, that the fact that this is uh, week six, because it's the week that I, I left, you know, you always feel that by that point, you've got to the point where if you've not got the stamina, you are a little bit exhausted. Yeah, I think I also went home in week six. And uh, this is the point where sort of the psychological and emotional breakdowns start to happen, isn't it, Howard? It's sort of like the point where everyone is exhausted and it's sort of it comes down to who can just keep it together. <laughs> um, and uh, obviously me and Howard uh, failed a fairly early hurdle with this one. Um, but Jane, of course, will know nothing about this because she made it all the way to the final. Isn't that right, Jane? Amina and the old girl, you know, she can keep going. At the time I was still gardening and I could dig all day. I put my getting through to the final just purely based on stamina and, and not skill. But it, we saw people flag. I, you could definitely see them go, oh, do you know what? I really don't care anymore. I just want to have my weekends to myself. Yeah, it's tough. And actually, Mel and Sue said to us, once you've got over week five and all the fun, and I'm not saying the fun all goes, but it is down to just keeping going at that stage. And, And some people just either run out of will or just run they're just tired I mean it's exhausting and especially if they're there the whole time they haven't got the home comforts 
They can't go home and sob on a partner's shoulder or witter onto their cat or whatever it is they do to relieve stress. And I think it's particularly tough for them. I mean, there are different challenges and we've talked about it on the last series. It, and, and sometimes it's quite nice. But this one, I thought of Giuseppe with his partner and his three young boys. If you've had to be out of home for 10 weeks, you're really going to miss them aren't you so all sorts all sorts of reasons why they're beginning to flag uh, and you can see some of them getting tired I think and I wasn't going to bring up the uh, fact that you are of course our Kurt Cobain or self-professed Kurt Cobain <laughs> of the uh, Bake Off world and it was very literally week six and pastry uh, mm. which saw you depart your series um, it, it was festive samosas wasn't it for you then uh... yeah well to be honest my week six like I people who know me know I sleep very little I sleep less than four hours every night uh, but when I was on bake-off I was sleeping like one or two hours a night and I was just I was ruined yeah I don't know what happened in my pastry but everything I made was just garbage uh, it was just all un- unmitigated awfulness uh, from beginning to end so it's nice that that didn't happen to anyone this week we did have some disasters but it wasn't sort of nobody disgraced themselves did they it was just those showstoppers which were interesting yeah and we will we'll definitely come to them now before we get going to this week's episode just a couple of emails i wanted to have time for the first one here is from stacy and actually there was a couple of emails on a on a fairly similar theme hello thank you for the podcast i love listening can you help us americans understand what is considered dessert and how that is different from a pudding here, a pudding is one specific dish. This is a sort of creamy custard often eaten by children. Dessert is anything sweet you eat usually after dinner. So any type of cake, pie, cookies, ice cream, popsicle, candy, etc. could be called dessert. I'd love to hear how Howard, Jane and Dan define these terms. Thank you from Stacey in San Diego. Howard, do you want to go first on this? Yeah, so I suppose there's there are different interpretations of this. So dessert and pudding are, on one level are interchangeable, um, particularly, I, I'm not quite sure whether there is a kind of north-south divide, but pudding is, is seen as quite a posh term for dessert. You know, we're having pudding, sounds to me quite, quite posh. I suppose it depends how you say it. But pudding also refers to a particular type of dessert, which is something that that can be steamed or baked. So we've got things like sponge pudding, treacle pudding, rice pudding, sticky toffee pudding. There are uh, Christmas pudding. There are there are different desserts that are actually called pudding, but generally the two terms are interchangeable. And Jane, anything to add to Howard? Or I mean, yeah. that's a good summary. I think it's a brilliant summary. Let's not forget Spotted Dick, um, Howard, while we're, which always amuses the Americans, I believe, especially friends of um, my husband's, which is a pudding. Uh, Howard's put it in a nutshell. I think Americans, and I very often find it in recipes where they use vanilla pudding in something. I've never had whatever the vanilla pudding is, but it, it sounds like it is a creamy, maybe it's, milk added stuff. Do you know what it's it basically is? packet custard, Jane? Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah, basically, and not di- not dissimilar to packet custard. Oh, okay. Um, so completely different from anything we would call pudding. It's a bit like our scones are called biscuits over there, aren't they? And their biscuits are, or our biscuits, I think, are their cookies. It, it all gets very muddled, but basically, yeah. Howard said it all, I think. 
Yeah, and uh, good of you to mention Spotted Dick there, Jane, almost as a uh, natural advertisement for Howard's class that he, of course, has coming up on the 7th of November, 8 o'clock UK time. So do come join us for that one. Looking forward to that, Howard. That'll be the first time we're doing that class. Yes, it is. So it's Spotted Dick and a couple of baked puddings as well. Absolutely. And uh, of course, there are a a huge amount of classes and and more going up almost by the day as we get into the uh, festive period. So please do check those out at baitwithalegend.com slash online classes. So, of course, um, thank you to all of those that did email in, um, Stacey, um, and also it was uh, Barry with a very uh, similar question. And then we had this comment from uh, Stephanie, who said, apropos of Jane's remark, it's true that congealed is never good, but in the States, we are so crazy about moist, we even have super moist. I love your show, which we listen to every Saturday from savannah in georgia and i sent this on our little whatsapp group there is a photo of the betty crocker's favorite super moist cake mix yellow bowl to oven in minutes this couldn't look more american if it tried um what did you make of this change you want me to try and get hold of one from america for you <laughs> the super moist cake mix <laughs> it looks rather nice doesn't it with that chocolate frosting i mean i have to confess please don't nobody's listening to this so they won't know i mean some of these betty crock of cake mixes are pretty good to be honest mm. i've known some sort of gourmet catering companies turn these out instead of making their own super moist somehow super moist doesn't sound so bad as just moist on its own i don't know yeah do get me a box i'll give it a go this one's got it says yellow on it does that mean it has yellow coloring in it i have no idea but it has rather a nice chocolate frosting and a rather nice looking sponge on the front of the packet but but then between you and me all um, Paul Hollywood's biscuit bread cake mix boxes look all right in their utter garbage so oh, am I right? <laughs> Jane for goodness sake oh I'm sorry but they're awful they are awful I don't know anybody's had any success with those but Betty Crocker I'll give it a go send me one for Christmas Josh well yellow cake is an American thing all Americans know what yellow cake is I guess it would be kind of their equivalent of a Victoria sponge but they're usually made with a load of oil rather than butter and that oh. is well no but the thing is that helps keep it moist because obviously the moisture from the butter evaporates but the oil is all because it's all fat it doesn't doesn't evaporate so it's actually quite pleasant I was very very against oil in cakes until I tried them and then I was like oh this is actually quite good I'm down with with oil cakes yeah oil does except for I've just been reading this book about why butter is great for you and oil is not so good for you Mm -hmm. so it's kind of putting me off oil a bit but you're right it keeps it's the way to keep many chocolate cakes moist. If I'm eating a cake, I've already given up on being healthy, Jane. I got to be honest. Um, no, I'll, I'll I'll send you a copy of the book, Dan. It's <laughs> eye-opening. There we go. Anyway, we're not going to talk about diets. We're talking about cake, aren't we? The two don't really go together. So let's talk about pastry. Let's talk about pastry. Let's talk about pastry and uh, eagle-eyed observers. Amongst the listenership who missed last week will realise there will be very little mention of the word vegan this week. And that is, of course, because we lost dear Freya. So uh, no more vegans in the tent, but there were still fantastic bakers for us to sit and talk about. And we will start with the signature this week. Howard, what's your shoe nut uh, pastry experience? Is this something you've, you've tried before? You know, it's not. Obviously, in in some respects, it's quite similar to a beignet souffle, which I think was a few years ago. We, we, We had that as one of the challenges, didn't we? It's certainly, you know, 
the idea of doing a shoe pastry and deep frying it, I've personally not done it. So it is one of those things that I'm, I might give it a go, yeah. Yeah, I was confused actually by the texture because when you make shoe, it's very airy and has huge air pockets in it. And then when I looked at the texture of the cooked ones, they looked more like a donut on the inside, which I, I was that down to the frying because it sort of creates a crust, crust and encases it. I don't know, but I was expecting them to be more open, I guess. I don't, I don't know. What did you, did you have an opinion on that, Joan? No, I totally agree. I did expect them to be a little bit more open, but I guess because they're whacked in the oil, and you say the crusty outside, they don't get the opportunity to throw in those really open air pockets. Mm. And they reminded me a bit of churros. Yes, yeah. Mm. Well, so we did churros in Batter Week. And I must admit, I was as scared as Lizzie of my deep fat fryer having had exploding churros at home. But I thought they looked really rather nice. I, but the thing that's impressed me about this series is it's left me thinking, oh, I must give that a go. And I thought shoe nuts were one of those things. I did Google them, actually, very quickly. And some people say that shoe nuts are merely shoe pastry piped and then baked in the way that we would a parry, parry breast. And so people, I think, are a bit confused about shoe nuts, but I think shoe nuts are, are like the shoe version of a cronut, aren't they? And I thought they looked delicious. I really would like to give those a go if I was only using oil, which yeah. I banned from the kitchen. So that's, <laughs> uh, that's that's not totally true. But yeah, I thought they were lovely. I thought it was a great challenge. Very interesting. But those deep fat fryers are temperature controlled and they're brilliant because the thing about frying these things is, as we know, with donuts and we've got a donut class coming up in November, but it's getting that temperature of the oil constantly right and if you don't have a thermostatically controlled fryer you're, you're always putting your probe in to make sure it's the right temperature because I think with Dave was it last year he had his oil too hot and then they're brown on the outside and they're uncooked on in, in the middle but why if they'd all got temperature controlled fryers were so many people putting their heat probes in didn't quite understand that it's kind of didn't seem to help. Christelle had one of those as well, and it didn't seem to help her with her, her bake. So yeah, just throwing that one in there. Why were they using why were they using their probes? Don't know. Probably just anxiety, just double triple checking. I know I did that when we've deep fried in the tent. Oh, did you? Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but I have to say, I don't think anyone was more confused about this than poor old George. And as he was saying, he said, I think Paul said to him something like, What are you looking for in your in your shoe pastry? And he's like, oh, I just need to make it light and airy. And Paul and I both gave the same look, thinking, why are you talking about George? And then he said, You gotta fold in the air and give it a good mix. And I just thought. George, you don't understand how shoe pastry works, do you, love? <laughs> like, that's not, that's not even, that's not what's happening here. So it, that was just wild to me. What Clearly what's happening in the shoe pastry is that it's getting expansion from all the moisture in it, which, you know, which expands and creates little air pockets. There's no air being folded into it. I just thought, could, what, George, how do you not understand this? But then I do also understand the, uh, you know, it's not really very appropriate for me to come for people on shoe pastry when I butchered it so brutally in my own season. So maybe people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And not only, Howard, did George struggle with a bit of the explanation there, which Paul rightly looked concerned at, he struggled with tongs, didn't he? There was a hilarious moment where he needed help getting his tongs open. I can't believe I, I, this is awful, isn't it? Because you do get in, in the tent and sometimes kind of common sense departs. And the fact that he 
obviously not come across these songs before. I've never heard Paul actually be helpful and tell him, tell anybody what to do. So to tell him that you push that bit in on, on the end, I thought was, was actually quite helpful. Momentous occasion. Help from Hollywood, a, a rare moment that we should all remember. But of course, Howard, I've seen so many classes with you where you talk about this dripping into a V. And that was something to look out for with the shoe pastry. Yeah, sometimes you want it um, a little bit thicker than that. So the, the worst thing is when it starts to really free fall, because at that point, you've just got too much egg in it. There's nothing you can do about it. So Jane, whose did you particularly like here from the from the shoe nuts? Who stood out to you? Mm-hmm. Mm, yes, it's a, yeah, I don't know. They were all pretty good, weren't they, really? Giuseppe's, of course. I wouldn't want too much limoncello in. I don't like things that are too alcoholy, but they looked beautiful. They really kept their definition, didn't they? I really like those. I just wanted to talk about Christelle's, actually, and you're talking about the texture of the shoe. I know she didn't put her timer on, and she was obviously being very exact, but I think things like donuts and timers... You should look at the colour of the bake if you've got your oil temperature right. So it didn't matter really if the timer was on or not. It, I thought the reason they were pale is because she took them out too soon. I mean, regardless of what a timer said. But I don't know. I mean, when Paul said the shoe's tight, it's not open enough. This was on Christelle's. And they were saying it was the it was the frying time. I suspect not. I suspect it was down to the texture of her shoe when it went in, because it's not the length of time. It's either the texture of the shoe wasn't right, so it didn't open in, it wasn't loose enough, or if it was too airy or it didn't hold its shape, it was just too soft. So um, I wasn't sure, unless she'd got really, really cold oil, that's why hers wasn't working. I don't think it was anything to do with the heat of the oil. I really like the ideas of Lizzie's. I know she was dead scared of the fryer. Bless her, she was so frightened of the fryer and I can understand why. But I like to look at Lizzie's. I, I've never had hibiscus, but I like the idea of that. And the caramel glazed ones look gorgeous. So I think if I had to choose between the two, it might even be Lizzie was, was my favourite this time. Yeah, they uh, they got great feedback. She was mm. told they had good structure, that it was toffee was delicious. And I think Prue said she would buy them, which is a, a great uh, bit of feedback. Yeah. Howard, what did you make of the colour of Jürgen's? Oh, gosh. Was it Ube? Purple yam type thing, I think it is. And I, I must admit, I, I had to Google it because I'd, I'd never heard of it. And I thought at first he'd just chuck loads of purple food colour in, but it is a natural colour thing. I could see what he was doing with the with the purple and orange, trying to create some kind of psychedelic look. I just didn't think it looked very appetising, personally. It's not a great colour, is it? Also, I was slightly confused by this because he said, oh, it's inspired by the 70s. And now I'm obviously incredibly young, so I don't remember the 70s. <laughs> don't laugh too hard, Jane. But I thought that like the 60s was all the psychedelic colours and then it went more natural in the 70s and it was all oranges and browns. I thought that the 70s was more muted. So I was slightly confused by that comment. But then as I said, I wasn't alive then. So maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe one, in Germany it was different then. Maybe it was. That's an important point. Josh. <laughs> maybe it was. The ones I actually really liked because my, I often, well not often, but I, the one mistake I make with shoe, if I do make one, is I always try and push how much eggs I can get in there and it often ends up a little bit soft. So I often lose a bit of definition on mine. But I thought George's actually looked great. They were really like, they had good definition. They were standing really proud. The shoe looked fantastic. And, you know, the thing about pastry week is you've got to get the pastry right. I thought I thought George's looked really good. I was so pleasantly surprised by those. I'd 
thought the, the filled one was just Chantilly and jam didn't really set me alight, to be perfectly honest. It wasn't very inventive, but then at the same time, who doesn't like jam and cream in a bit of shoe? Do you know what I mean? Dan, just a moment here to talk about chicks, because you have a Parry Breast class coming up. And of course, this was a oh, yes. Parry Breast it inspired. So all of those hoping to, to make a Parry Breast can do that with Dan, 13th of November. At the time of recording, there are about five or six places left. So do come join Dan for that one. But Dan, this was... Parry breast inspired. Parry breast, we normally slice it horizontally and sort of pipe it attractively. And obviously you can't do it exactly the same. But yeah, I assume I I don't know if they touched on it, but I'm assuming it's just filled with a you know a praline creme mousseline, because that's what we do in a parry breast, uh, which is delicious and very, very unhealthy. It's like 50% butter. I mean, I suppose buttercream is often 50% butter, isn't it? More than that. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, Jane wouldn't like it. She'd probably find it a bit greasy, wouldn't you, Jane? I'm not a great creme mousseline fan, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. I, I, in fact, I don't like it at all. I like a creme diplomat, but I don't like a creme mousseline. It's just too buttery for me. I like a bit of richness, especially you got it. The trick is to put more sugar in it, Jane. That way it's nice. Oh, <laughs> Listen, listen, I'm getting very old. I don't need to fair my arteries anymore. Um, but just for people who don't know what a parry breast is, because there was a little sniggering in the tent over that, wasn't there? Mm. It's round with a hole in the middle and it's supposed to represent a bicycle wheel because it celebrates the bicycle race between Paris and Brest, which is on the Brittany coast. Is it Brittany or Normandy coast? Anyway, it, that's why it's supposed to look like a bicycle wheel celebrating this race between the two towns in France. So there you go. That's your history lesson for today, guys. Thank you, Jane. The more you know, you can come and sell my class for me. <laughs> you sell it well enough on your own, Dan, <laughs> in spite of the creme mousseline. It's very <laughs> Jane did mention the donut class that she has coming up as well. That is the 4th of December. That is going to take place during Hanukkah, uh, where, of course, donuts are one of the most popular uh, items for people to bake and enjoy. So do come and join us at Jane's donut class the 4th of December at 5pm if you would like to do so. Now, Howard, we're moving on to the technical challenge. And as luck would have it, you taught a baklava class but a few weeks ago and it was your turn to teach a class of the mystery classes that we've been doing every Sunday where we're teaching something from that week's Bake Off episode and it's baklava what great timing it is great timing and also hugely a huge relief that you're not putting me in charge of a deep fat fryer so I'm not doing shoe nuts yes what an interesting technical challenge this was and Basically, from the point of view, I think that I'm not entirely sure they made phyllo pastry, but that's slightly controversial. Yeah, I would agree. It didn't. That's not the traditional technique, uh, as I understand it. It was uh, a quite weird way they made it. But I have to say, I have never made phyllo pastry. It is on the form when you apply to Bake Off. They say, have you made phyllo pastry? And it's the kind of thing where you feel like, oh, I should give this a go so I can at least tick the form and say, yes, I have done it. But I've never done it. Professional chefs always say, like, don't bother making your own phyllo pastry. It's so much work. So I'm not surprised that I think had any of them said they'd done it. Chig's definitely not. Giuseppe not, I think. Have you made your own phyllo, Jane? I had to make it in the tent. Oh, my goodness me. God, it's well, it's really, really, really difficult. But... 
I do know that phyllo is generally, doesn't have much fat in it, if any, is generally flour, a little bit of vinegar, water, pretty much it, really. I don't know, there's probably something else in there. But I did freeze frame it because they they did a close up. I think Amanda was looking at it or somebody they did a close up of her recipe. And I had a look at the ingredients. I freeze framed it. It had eggs in it. Occasionally a recipe will have some egg yolk in it. That's more like a pasta, really, isn't it? Yeah. And yogurt and butter and baking powder. I'm totally with you, Howard. It wasn't phyllo, was it? I haven't looked because they will probably publish this recipe on the Bake Off website, which they always do, don't they, for the technical challenges. And I haven't had a chance to look. But, yeah, that didn't sound like phyllo to me. It sounded like some weird old pastry to me. It's actually in the the book, the current book. So I bought a copy of that just so that we could get a little bit ahead on some of the recipes that are in there. But and And it is in there. And you're absolutely right. To me, it's sort of like a pasta. And normally when you are laminating, you are layering up with with layers of fat. So traditionally with phyllo, what we do is we put a layer of phyllo and then butter it, you know, melted butter over it, then another layer of phyllo. They were layering up with corn flour, which, so the fat is actually in the pastry and you're creating layers with, with corn flour, which again, does not sound to me like a proper phyllo. Yeah, the corn flour thing, through me because normally I mean as I've never done it but as I understand it you roll sort of the really huge sheets don't you and then as you say you brush them with melted butter that's usually that's how I've always that's how I've always made phyllo whenever I usually use it for savory stuff but I don't know if it's different for the baklava can I just ask actually side note do you is it baklava or baklava because I genuinely don't know I think you can say either I usually say baklava but I think you can say either so Only like- we had someone of the right heritage, like we did last week, Dan, with your German knowledge. <laughs> Only we had some expert. What a shame none of us are from the right place. What a shame. So we'll go with Howard's version um, here. Jane, did what? Did you, you were just going to add something. They were talking about it all having to be flaky, weren't they? And when they cut the one that Prue and Paul were tasting in their little tent tucked away, they cut through. That pastry didn't look flaky. It looked solid to me. And he went banged on about it having to be a laminated dough. It's it's not a laminated dough. You laminate it by putting layers of pastry, butter layers of pastry. You don't get it puffing up like you do a Danish pastry or a puff pastry or even a flaky, you know, rough puff flaky pastry. I don't know what they were talking about. I'm completely thrown by by this technical. It looked gorgeous, and I'd love to make a baklava looking like that because I thought it looked stunning. But anybody who's a phyllo pastry expert, please write in because I am very confused about this. Yes, we do want to hear your, your thoughts on this. You can contact us, the bakedown at bakewithalegend.com. I mean, George did say it's in my DNA, but I'm not sure how high it's in his DNA, Howard, because it came six out of seven. Probably George could do a proper phyllo pastry, um, but unfortunately not not all Hollywood version of it. No, one thing we can agree on is what Chig said when he said this is not for Weight Watchers. Certainly from what was in it, Dan. Well, it's, yeah, it's a fair old brick, isn't it? And the problem with 
baklava is that it's so easy to eat. It's so easy to just sort of put away five or six of them without thinking or without breathing in my case. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's full of sugar. It's full of nuts, which nuts just people think nuts are healthy. They're like 50% fat. They're maybe not the best for you either. So Howard, is your baklava worth the calories and how many calories are in it? Do you know, I have no idea how many calories are in it. I, I must admit, I don't go for a terribly sweet one so as well as the nuts I've got a, a, some dried apricots so there's a bit of sweetness going in there and my syrup is is a sort of an orange syrup so it's not the the kind of sweetest of things and you have got a choice about just pouring it between the cracks rather than whacking it all over the top so at least you just get some of the flavor going in rather than that that layer of uh, of sugar we had a big contrast here in terms of knowledge of baklava because we saw Chig say, I have no idea how long it takes. And right at the same time, we went to see Jürgen, who went 14 minutes, didn't we, Jane? There was a contrast of experience here. Who's who's appealed to you, Jane, out of all of these? Jürgen obviously won. Yeah, he was good. And he was uh, sort of attacked the design in a very scientific way, didn't he? I, do you know what? They all looked a bit of a much of a muchness, to be honest. Apart from Lizzie. Apart from Lizzie Bassa, who just, you know, just didn't even attempt the pattern. Get the hang of the, uh, couldn't quite get the hang of the pattern, could she? I mean, they all did all right. I thought when they announced that it was going to be baklava, baklava for everybody, I thought, oh my goodness, we're going to have some huge disasters with this pastry. Uh, but they didn't. I don't think anybody had a huge disaster. It is how long you cook it. I do a phyllo sort of Moroccan style lentil pie that's got ginger and loads of spices and stuff in it. And I always whack it in the oven for about 40 minutes. So I think it is maybe if nobody's ever cooked a big thing with phyllo, then they wouldn't know how long it baked. And Jürgen obviously did. I mean, you know, whack it in the oven for 40 minutes, it'll be fine. So yeah, just it, it, as with all technicals, it's down to a bit of experience, isn't it? I'll just say damp noodle. Just for info, in, in the book, it actually says bake for an hour. So uh, oh, does they've it? Got, yeah, yeah, they've got a bit of, of downtime, haven't they? Not much to do for an hour. Yeah. It was a tricky one, though, or as, uh, as Giuseppe says, a bit of an asshole. <laughs> a bit of an hassle. It was certainly a hassle for, uh, for all the bakers to make. Jürgen coming out on top, followed by Christelle, Chiggs, Giuseppe, Amanda, then George and, and Lizzie down at the bottom. We headed to the showstopper for an intricate terrine pie. This is French origins, Dan, is that right? Well, yeah, terrine is a French word. Well, it's basically just like a long pie. It just kind of looks like it's been made in, in a loaf tin. And I don't really think we should be coming to me as the expert on uh, on showstopper pies in, in Pastry Week. Because I think maybe we should go to someone else, Josh. I'm not, not sure okay. how much... Uh, well, how we've much... only got one who made it uh, successfully past this stage. So we'll come to Jane. So we, <laughs> we were given four and a half hours for this challenge. And the idea was that we were going to see a sort of beautiful ornate pastry decoration on the outside to reveal a neat design when it was cut open and the flavours were going to be, of course, up to the bakers. Actually, I looked up the word terrine. It does mean a rectangular pie. I mean, we all know it as sort of a, a layered pate type type thing with meats and things. in. So I, I wasn't 100% sure whether Giuseppe's round one qualified as a terrine because the terrine, I think, is generally accepted. It should be rectangular, but I'm assuming it passed... It passed uh, whatever criteria they were they were given. We did pies in Tudor week, 
and we had to do a pattern of them that fitted together in something vaguely Tudor and my wonderful husband made me all these little molds that I could then assemble together to make it look a bit like a Tudor rose or something like that. Hot water crust is very, I think, easy to deal with because you, you can make it too thick because you're trying to make it stand up. But once you've formed it into its mould, you can take the mould out and fill your pie. You don't need to leave it in a mould the whole time, especially with smaller ones. So with a, a pork pie, you have a thing called the dolly which basically is some wooden mould. You, you shape your pastry up the side, then remove the dolly, then put your pastry in, and then you can bake it, and it doesn't seem to collapse in the oven at all. It's, it's pretty stable stuff. So I'm, I'm not quite sure why they were having so much trouble with their structure, or some of them were having the, with the structure. I make a Christmas pie, and I do it with short crust and not hot water crust, and I had, have the problems occasionally that they have with their cracking. So maybe not all of them were using a hot water crust, and just some of them. It's a tough one. I, I didn't think two, four and a half hours was too tight on time. I thought they were being quite generous with the time. Hot water crust or any pastry, you know, by the time you've rested it, you, you can use it in half an hour. It's not a problem. Hot water crust you can use virtually straight away. They're all going to take about an hour to cook regardless of your filling so maybe with the exception of the fish one which I don't think would take quite so long I'm not quite sure why they all ran out of time you'd need a good hour chilling at least so basically you've got three and a half hours I think it's a, I think it's a manageable challenge and that's not always the case with bake-off I mean, it was interesting I mean it is the tent and I shouldn't be mean because we all do strange things in the tent and there are always people shoving a microphone up your nose yeah, I thought it was a good challenge, actually. Howard, would you have joined in with the Greek dancing uh, that we saw in the tent at this point? <laughs> I, th- I know it's about, again, we've talked about Baclava. There's, there's an hour or 45 minutes, an hour when it's in the oven. What do you do? Once your pie is in the oven, if you're not making a chutney or or doing some decorations like Crystal was, you've got a bit of time on your hands. I, I don't know. I'm, I wouldn't want people on to be watching me doing Greek dancing I'm sorry it was almost like they've got a pilot idea for Strictly Come Dancing (laughs) meets Bake Off and this was just a few moments for us to consider whether that has got potential longevity as a show Dan you'd have been straight in there dancing absolutely not no I prefer to make a fool of myself on my own terms thank you very much I have to say this was quite an interesting challenge and some people were smarter than others and you know who was really smart Christelle because she just she baked a fairly plain looking pie and got it in the oven and then started cutting out and colouring pastry shapes. And as soon as she, I saw her doing that, I thought, God, she's so smart. That's such a smart choice. And she was able to make her pie look super ornate, but she wasn't panicking about getting it all done before she put it in the oven. And I just thought, God, that's so smart. And I'm surprised that other people didn't think of it. Like the top of Jürgen's pie looked amazing, but he would have had to have, you know, he, that was all baked into the design. That would have been much more stressful for him. I just thought Crystal was so smart this week. Um, we did have a few problems with leaking. I was just curious to get your guys' opinion. Which do you think is worse, like a leaky crack or a soggy bottom? I think a soggy bottom is is worse. I don't mind a little (laughs) bit of leakage, personally. I'm staying out of this one at my age. (laughs) Dan, I thought you were going to draw attention to Lizzie's fish because we've had so much animal-related Lizzie content this series. Yet again, 
she's found a way to include an animal. Sadly, no hugely entertaining backstory on, on said fish, but it looked fairly oh. impressive. Well, actually, I was surprised because when she was talking about the design of her fish and cutting her potatoes, I just thought, what fish? Like, I don't see it. But then when they actually sliced the finished pie, I did, I did see the fish and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. I get it. There it is. She did pull it off in the end. Please don't pile on me for saying this, but was anyone else a little bit uninspired by the hidden designs? Because when they were selling the pyres, you know, having a hidden design was the main element. Even the designs that I liked, I thought were not that exciting. Lizzie had a, a fish, but did anyone else go for anything remotely interesting? It seemed to be just like a roll, like a sausage, like George did or Amanda did as well, I think. Giuseppe just had a, a circle as well. Jürgen did something with the beetroot, didn't he? And that looked quite interesting. It was seemed more geometric than a sort of a, a design. But I think Jürgen and Lizzie were the only ones that I remember that really kind of went for a, you know, a reveal where there was a fun pattern inside. And I think maybe they should have got more more credit for that. I think you're right. I mean, I think, uh, you know, considering Pristel's was, was fantastic, basically it was in, in kind of quite straight layers, wasn't it? It wasn't... That, that there was a particular pattern or anything in there. Speaking as one who did a Christmas bake-off and we had to cut a cake open and reveal a pattern, you can go a bit over the top. I think a nice terrine has layers and you can see distinct layers of something inside it. I don't think they had to create anything to... I mean, a pattern's a pattern, but you didn't have to have a fish or a picture of anything inside it. I just... I think perhaps we are reading into it a bit more than actually was required because chicks didn't look particularly, there wasn't that much in there, was there really? But, you know, they, they all cut it open and you could see different layers and it looked interesting. And I thought that was good enough for me. I don't really want to be cutting open and seeing sort of a penguin, something like that. Um, I like the fish with, with Lizzie's, but... And Giuseppe's had a role in it. I think you're giving Giuseppe a free pass. It was just a sausage. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I must say, with the Giuseppe's, I thought it looked a bit insipid. I, I would like to have seen a bit more colour in there. It was all a bit beige. And I'm not a great beige fan. It was all a bit beige. Uh, the idea of cauliflower cheese in a pie didn't do it for me, really. I wasn't bothered about the being not having a great pattern in, inside. I was bothered that none of them seemed to pull off a really good well I'm not none of them Christelle did and Giuseppe looked like in a hole and that was fine and Jürgen's was all right really create a gorgeous looking pie on the outside did they George's was interesting I liked the idea it didn't look very Christmassy but I, I did like the idea of rolling a different color pastry in there I thought that was interesting I, I might give that a go I thought it was quite quite nice thing to do but I was a bit underwhelmed by the decoration for most of them. Can I ask your opinion on something, guys? George, we saw Amanda obviously taking us out of the tin and it was all leaking, the pastry was hanging off. And then we saw George basically deciding to leave it in the tin. I want your opinions and I want you to be cutthroat. Do you think that was cheating or is it just smart or is it both or is it neither? I have an opinion, but it does seem slightly like maybe it seems slightly unfair that George basically sort of said, oh, I'm just going to leave it in the tin. And did they take it off at judging? I thought he left it only on the base. I thought he'd taken the sides off, but, but left the base there. So when when they were judging, he was telling Paul about when, when he was cutting in that there's a little lip around the edge because it was still on the base. A little bit, maybe. My conclusion is, honestly, it's smart. 
but it, like it's a smart decision. But like, is it cheating when Amanda was wrestling hers out? Do you think it made a difference between who went home? Oh, yeah, that's a good question, isn't it? I mean, we were told at one point, guys, you've got to make sure you take it off and get it onto a display plate. They they just they said that to us after however many weeks of everybody going, oh god, it's too hot to move. I don't think it's cheating. I think Amanda's problems were greater than just leaving a base on, to be honest. But I mean, I, I actually think George had huge problems because that looked a very sunken pie, didn't it? It all looked very collapsed. I think he, I think he got off quite lightly, but we'll come to that at the end, I'm sure. Howard, just give us a, a few comments then on Amanda's because she, of course, uh, did go home. She she mentioned how her favourite bit was the decorating and you know making the the little piggies around it. But did her focus arguably go from what was going to be most important in this challenge? Yeah. You are talking all the time that you're in the tent, you're being asked questions and so on. And so one of the producers or, or whoever says to you, but, you know, what part of this do you like? And she said, oh, I love doing the decoration. I often spend far too much time doing the decoration. I should get it in the oven. You're thinking, this is going to go somewhere, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> just get it in the oven. Yeah, and so it proved. But we did see the nice moment, Dan, where it was Chiggs, wasn't it, who came over to, to try and help but there was only so much he could do, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, Chiggs. He's not only is he handsome, he's also kind and thoughtful. I think we're all falling in love with Chiggs a bit. Maybe just me. Who knows? Um, <laughs> I am married. But yeah, no, I thought Chiggs was very helpful. And that's very sweet. From remembering my own time in the tent, um, you know, when I was struggling, there were there were people who offered their help. And those people uh, are not forgotten because, you, you know, I think uh, it shows uh, people's characters when they rush to help other people in the tent and uh yeah i think it it shows what a nice guy he is it felt like nobody else in the tent could bear to look at the drama unfolding over there open heart surgery (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was clearly a bit traumatic now it's time in the podcast where we turn to howard to find out what was howard's hump this week's episode yeah we've we've touched on on some of these already but there's so much to go at i think it was basically a week of what i would call an alternate reality alternative reality so paul had created something that was a thin pasta like pastry layered with corn flour instead of butter calls it phyllo it's like i don't think that's phyllo and then as as um as jane said he picked at a thick kind of dense wadge of of dough with a knife blade and he's trying to convince you that you're looking at, at layers and you're thinking there are no layers he's, he's trying to alter our perception of things but the other thing was where it's apparently safe to take a pie straight out of the oven and pop it in the freezer I couldn't I couldn't get that that is not the way to chill a pie you need to leave it at room temperature for a while before you start chilling it. So I just thought all kind of reality has escaped us this week. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> hopefully reality will be back for week seven rather than the alternative one that seemed to find its way uh, into week six. And Jane, we'll come to you first and foremost on the two decisions that were made this week. We, of course, saw Christelle get given a handshake in a showstopper, which is a 
a rare feat. I feel like Dan might be the person that knows about this. How often have we seen a showstopper handshake? Well, I think it's just three times that we've seen it. I could be wrong, but I think it's just three times. And I think we can all agree that uh, showstopper handshakes are null and void. They are not valid. And only the ones given in the signatures count. <laughs> Why? Why? Why are they? Why are because, they because if you discount the show stopper ones, then I still have the most of anyone. Oh, um, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Paul has to go out of his way to give a a, a show stopper handshake. So, but I kind of feel like that was that was almost overdue for Christelle. She's always. The, she just excels in the showstoppers and the decorating. She just—it just seems effortless for her, and uh, to be able to pull off a really fun, solid look. And yeah, I, I feel like she deserved it. And I think recognition for Christelle is overdue. So Jane, was it the right decision this week? Firstly, on Christelle being Star Baker, and then for Amanda, Dan's original tip for success: <laughs> leaving, going home. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, not me. I mean, I, I was delighted for Christelle to, to win it because I think she's been hovering around the top, almost getting it over the, the previous weeks. I don't know whether she did. I don't know who else would have got it. I don't think Jürgen was quite up there this week. I, I wasn't mad about Giuseppe's looking, the look of his pie. It looks, as I said, a bit beige, and I really don't like beige that much. Uh, so, yes, I, I mean, she she didn't do terribly well, I don't think, in the signature, which she would have admitted. But, of course, she came second in the technical. So I'm delighted for her. I thought her pie looked brilliant. And actually, what was it, last week or week before, I think I looked, my daughter was visiting, and I, I did look at the first episode again, and I was knocked out by her showstopper, Christelle's showstopper in that. So, yeah, I, th- I think she deserved it. I don't know who else would have uh, I would have put in her place. So, yes, good for her with that one. Oh, Amanda. Hmm. Well, she has been dicing with death, hasn't she, on a weekly basis. But, you know, I think it was a very close run thing with her and George this week. George's uh, shoe nuts, one of them didn't have really, wasn't equally, you know, wasn't filled all the way in. And I thought his filling was a bit boring to be. Sorry, George, if you're listening. Uh, but Amanda's, yeah, were a bit too rosy and a bit too sweet on her, her creme pat filled ones. She came fifth. She beat George in the technical. And to be honest, I didn't think George's looked great in the showstopper. So I would have put it 50-50 and maybe tipping towards George going. But, you know, you're not there. You're, you can't taste it. You're not there. And things go on in the tent that they can't possibly cover in the episode because they've got so many hours of it and they don't want to humiliate you. The, the editing's always kind. So I'm guessing in the tent, Amanda was just a little bit worse than George. And what amazed me is when Paul, when they were tick talking there and saying, who's, who's in trouble? George and Amanda in a little bit of trouble. A little bit of trouble. I thought they were in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I think Amanda, she had it coming, as they say. She had it coming. And I'm sorry to see her go because I really liked them. And I like them all, but um, sorry to see her go. But yes, there are better bakers in that tent. And maybe her time had come. Dan, appropriately for a uh, woman of a police background, can you make a case for Amanda not going home this week? Should George have gone? I don't know. At the back, she had a big old saggy flap of pastry, didn't she? And it just, it wasn't a cute look. Um, I think George's at least was sort of holding together somewhat, even though he may have cheated, as we alluded to, uh, depending on your point of view. Do you know what? I like George. He's, uh, he's sweet and I kind of, I'm glad to see him stick around, but I think he is 
putting himself firmly up against the chopping block. That's a very mixed metaphor uh, <laughs> for, for the coming weeks. I think if he doesn't start shining soon, he's he's sort of lining himself up for a, for a swift exit because it's not going brilliantly for George, unfortunately. But he, I think he deserved to hang on this week. So I would agree with that. Christelle getting Star Baker meant we did have the first female Star Baker of the series in week six. But Howard, what did you make of the decision for Amanda to to head home. Would you have selected Amanda here or George? It did look to me as as if George was was in trouble. As Dan said, I think it's nice to see George sticking in there, but shame to see Amanda go. I thought it was interesting as well that when they were talking about who was in trouble and who was likely to be Starbreaker, I think it was Noel who said that they were looking for that wow moment that occasionally happens in the tent. And I think Christelle certainly provided that this week. Yeah, well, I hope everyone has enjoyed our reflections on Pastry Week. And we, of course, will be back here next Wednesday with another podcast for you. We would love to see you at some of the online classes that we have got coming up. And we have got a, a huge amount of classes. Dan, you've got your, your pretzel and soda bread class coming up this weekend. Uh, you're looking forward to, to that one, I'm sure. Then your parry breast in a few weeks' times. And then you're doing the focaccia and ciabatta breadsticks once again. And, and Jane, just a word, you've put up a, a couple of Christmas-related classes. We're going to be doing your orange and spice chai latte cake on the 27th of November. And then we're looking forward to your Christmas tree cake on the 18th of December. Mm, so I'm looking forward to doing those. Um, they're alternative Christmas cakes. Uh, so for anybody who doesn't like the heavy fruit cake that we always have in this house. Yeah, they look impressive. So even if you're not a hugely good because I'm not a decorator of cakes you will be able to turn out something that looks show-stopping and it'll knock the socks off anybody who sees it and and just don't tell them that it's actually relatively straightforward so yeah if you want to you want to make some alternative Christmas cakes and uh, something that looks really really festive then check check them out on the Bake with a Legend site I'm really looking forward to making them yeah and uh, remember to use the code podcast to get 10% off all our classes and if you come to one of our classes and it's a complete disaster you can get some super moist cake mix and uh, (laughs) get that all sorted and uh, you'll have a you'll have an excellent cake apparently in in no time at all Um, so thank you so much for listening we will see you again next wednesday you just heard a stripped media production deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.